to Australia's Best Beer Conversation once again. And as ever, I'm joined by my good friend, our colleague and executive producer, Peter Prof Mitchum. Pete, g'day. How are you? Yeah, I'm well. Thanks, Matt. Good evening. Uh, g'day, listeners. And I'm not going to disagree with you this time. Australia's Best Beer Conversation on the radio, um, on iTunes, whatever you want. Had a, had a, have had a great week. Um, and so, yeah, I'm happy to go with that. So, Joe, you're going to agree with that because we look Tuesday night, um, beer was screening in the local tap house in Sydney. Great night. I heard we had a good night. I heard we had a good night. I heard, and the, the reviews <laughs> are in, and apparently we didn't suck. <laughs> well, that's nice. That's good. No, very, very positive feedback. Terrific crowd in at uh, the Taphurst at, at Darlinghurst. Uh, did I say Taphurst? Tap House at Darlinghurst. Uh, 60, I think, look, between 60 and 65 people, somewhere in there, because there was a, a couple that were of staff who were coming in and out. Uh, but at my count, we had mid-60s, terrific response, um, and a great panel discussion afterwards, and very uh, great uh, but responsible quantities of very fine craft beer. It was good, yeah. And the, the panel discussion, which I need to get around and... Uh edit but uh, the panel discussion was fascinating so we had uh, four really interesting people on the panel this time and uh, had some really good questions from from the audience so yeah no don't, don't say this time as if we didn't last time oh well we did last time as well no, yeah. actually actually that did sound bad didn't it, it did. uh, i didn't i didn't mean it i, I didn't mean it like that it's all right boys. it's all right melbourne boys we'll edit that out no but, <laughs> I, I agree in terms of it, it was probably a little bit more diverse uh in terms of the you know the the, the breweries that the brewery models that the panel represented uh, and the and the viewpoints are probably a little bit more uh, diverse. It was very just a very interesting discussion. Mate, I'm going to uh, really throw a grenade in the room and then walk in after it. Um, yep. I reckon uh, Melbourne is a little bit complacent when it comes to fighting the uh, good fight about beer. I think uh, you know, Sydney there was such a good turnout because Sydney realizes how much. There is still to go to uh, get a good selection of beer right across the city. Whereas in Melbourne, you've got some really good, you've got some of Australia's best um, beer venues and you've got quite a number of them. And so Melbourne people are allowed to go from one little uh, good beer bubble to another one. And I don't think they stop off at all of the pubs on the way. Um, so, you know, you, 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 and, and you're a Melbourne guy yourself, so it'll be interesting to hear your uh, opinion. But I think that a lot of the, the Melbourne beer lovers... Um, think that the craft beer revolution is has been fought and won, um, and they don't realise that you know, even in their own town there are the only pockets of good beer, and uh, you know, uh, right across the city, there are a lot of taps that need to be conquered yet. Comfortable, safe, perhaps not. I don't think complacent, but I certainly think we feel more comfortable with the stability of of what we've got. Uh, coupled with the fact that we have probably a, a broader range of people who are actively uh, supporting and encouraging that scene. So I, I disagree with complacent, but I certainly think, uh, and, and having been to Sydney, I can I can see the difference. Uh, talking to the guys up there, yeah, there's a, it, it, it's it's certainly very different sort of schools of thought. Yeah, yeah. And that, that wasn't meant to be an insult. I, I think Melbourne is very lucky. Um, and if oh, you're we're able pretty thick to... skin down here. <laughs> and, as if, and as if we're going to listen in, in the, someone from Brisbane says, "No, it's um." Well, yeah, see, I, see, that's I know, one of the things that, that that's one of the things that clued me to it is that um, you know, in Brisbane there are very few good beer places, and you go to Melbourne, and you can't not, turn your head without 
bump into well, anyone. Well, yeah. not being a local, like you, you can travel to some very good pubs, but if you just stop in, you think, oh, gee, that pub doesn't look too bad, and you walk inside, and it may not be a pub that a local who's got a, an understanding of the train would go into because they know that it's not a good beer pub. But as a as a visitor, you walk into a pub to check it out, and suddenly you're visited by exactly the same sort of tap selection as you would get in Brisbane. And yeah. that's when you realise that it's probably not as widespread as I think the people that are highly uh, plugged into the good beer movement um, possibly think. But um, do you know what you, do you know what you should do? What should I do? Move to Melbourne? No, buy a copy of the Beer Lovers Guide to Australia 2011 edition because then you'll be able to avoid walking into um, those sorts of pubs. Good, good suggestion <laughs> about the Beer Lovers Guide. But in terms of walking into pubs. Yeah, you know, I, I love walking. You know, I, I love visiting pubs and getting a sense of of the place. And I think the worst thing that can happen is that you just do go from one good beer pub to another, and you know, it, it, it's a little bit like going to the same restaurant all the time. Um, you don't realise what else is out there. Um, but so beer lovers guide, I love the plug. Nice segue. No worries. Let's move so, on. And what else has happened? Not really much happened in beer this week, has there? You know, no, no real beer news coming out. Let, let me just take, let me just. I'll flick through. Oh, hang on. There's something on the front page of yesterday's paper. What? Something about Foster's. Should we talk oh, about that? We, we probably should. Um, what, what do you think? What's your take, Prof? Uh, don't care. Doesn't matter. Let's move on. No, really. Do you know what I mean? Like I, uh, all I've heard, certainly in the press, since in the the few hours since I've been uh, back in town, all the, the talkback radio and uh, news headlines and uh, news pieces has all sort of been about this, you know, iconic Australian brand, uh, you know, and likening it to Vegemite and Arnott's and, and all the rest that are sort of, you know, aeroplane jelly and everything else that's sort of fallen by the wayside. Um, from an economics point of view, I guess you sort of say, you know what, it, it, it's got to be a global economy. We can't we can't be taking all the best of, of what we can't manufacture or produce or grow or whatever over here, uh, and then expect that all our, you know, homegrown sort of things won't also be a, I, I guess, a target for the you know the global economy. Um, it, it, I guess it sort of makes the world go round. Does it really matter? Is, uh, you know, I don't know. I, 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 I'm a little bit over it. Look, I agree, and I, you know, all of these people are going, oh, so long as I don't change the flavour. I mean, they're not going to do that, but you, you look at it, you've got a big international brewer that has really been struggling um, to get their product into bars and clubs. You know, uh, um, Peroni had to go out and they had to, you know, put on in their own distinctive fonts um, to, to get a, a market presence. Suddenly, um, they're going to have access to all of the Foster's uh, contract pubs, um, and I think you're going to start seeing a, you know, a little bit more of the, well, you're obviously going to see a lot more of the SAB brands, um, and that's one big change that we're going to see. Um, I think it's going to be, you know, when you've got a major brewer fighting against another major international brewer, it's game on in terms of marketing and, you know, the, the fight for tap space. But my fear is that the smaller brewers are going to become even greater collateral damage than they have been before now. Um, but you also have to wonder... SAB Miller, as part of it, um, Pacific Beverages, which is the SAB Miller, um, CCA, you know, Coca-Cola Amatil, Coca-Cola, Amatil. Um, yeah. have got their nice, shiny new $120 million state-of-the-art brewery sitting in New South Wales. Um, that's a little bit underutilised at the moment because they can't get all of their brands out there. They're brewing some of their contract beers under licence. Um, 
they're going to want to make sure that that's utilised. What are they yeah. going to brew there? Um, will they, you know, will they move Matilda Bay there? Matilda Bay is in the process of putting their new shiny visitor attraction, which is very exciting for craft beer. Um, but will some of those brands be moved up to uh, Warner Bay? So, yeah, say from Cascade to Warnervale, maybe. From Cascade to Warnervale. Um, and, and let Cascade do what they do. Yeah. Or and add new brands down there. Uh, yeah. D- does it, um, like, can you can you see a, a bit of a, an undercurrent or a movement coming about where people now say, well, look, you know, if you want to drink Australian, you know, buy Australian, drink craft beer. Is, is there a chance that that'll happen? No, well, possibly. That there'll, be, there'll be a little bit of that, and it certainly brings craft beer into the spotlight, which is fantastic. Yeah. And I'm not, but, I'm not suggesting it's going to go from 2% to 20% overnight because VB is now owned by, you know, a, 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 an African, South African, British-based... Anglo, yeah. Anglo certificate, whatever. It, it, I, don't think it, it, I don't think it's going to, you know, we're not going to see quantum leaps like that. But uh, there's certainly a little bit of yabber around the traps at the moment that, uh, you know, now's a good opportunity to, to promote the fact that if uh, you want to drink Australian brewed craft beer, or beer, then, you know, there are plenty of options. Well, you might, you'd think that, but then again, it doesn't seem to have hurt Lion Nathan, um, you know, and, and that's where the big marketing dollars come in and they make sure that they're associated with the Queensland State of Origin team and yep. things. So, yep. and, and, you know, they, they make it look like all of the decisions. I mean, Forex has been marketed out of Sydney for, for years now, um, but, yeah. you know, they make a very strong point of being seen to be Based so are you, are you suggesting that uh, the New South Wales Origin team has had such a bad run of bad luck because they've been sponsored by VB? <laughs> oh, look, I, I don't know. Maybe if they drink it. Um, no, look, that, that, sorry, that, that was a bit gratuitous. Look, no problem with the beers. A lot of people like it, and they're not bad beers. They're just does, not terribly interesting job. beers. Yeah, yeah. Um, but look, I, I think, and where I was going with that is, I don't think it really matters where beers are made um, because you know VB has been made at Yaddle in Brisbane um, Matilda Bay used to be made in Western Australia now it's made in Victoria it really doesn't matter that much where it's made but when you've got a international brewing company um, and they are f- even less uh, or even more dispassionate about um, the, the products than they ever had you know than the Australian brewers would be and a lot less uh, plugged into the sensitivities and you know, I look at a brewery like Cascade, and Australians think, "Oh, they'll never get rid of Cascade. It's such an such an important." But it's a business decision. If these guys think that they can make Cascade a bigger brand by moving it and make more money um, from moving it, then they will lose in terms of lost, uh, you know, uh, charisma or whatever that the brand feel has. Good. Feel yeah. good factor, um, and you know, once the and everyone, even though everyone says that oh, you know, it's such a big brand in Tasmania, Tasmania's got what three hundred thousand people. Um, five hundred. Oh, sorry, Tasmania. Um, yeah. it, it's still not a huge market, and if uh, it's know, still only three families, but yeah, five hundred thousand. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and it, it, it's one of those things. Oh, now um, apologies, quoted, to Tim Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Just one. Yeah, I didn't mean that. Who we're about to speak to, but yeah, and who, who knows what they're going to do? And I'm sure they don't even know what they want to do. But these come, these are business decisions that they'll make, um, and they won't make them without too much sentiment. And you, even though they want us to feel sentimental, sentimentally about and you know emotionally about the emotionally brands, attached to the brand, yeah, they don't necessarily think that. And uh, 
you, you can see that when Heineken took over uh, Scottish and Newcastle in England. They closed the Tyneside Brewery um, that Newcastle Brown was made in. Mm. And, you know, that upset all of the people in the area and saying that, well, how can it be Newcastle Brown Ale if it's not made there anymore? Um, but it's a business decision and they wanted to take the brand international and people overseas you know, don't even know the geography of England. So it just depends on what their plans are and I, I think everything's up for grabs and it'll be really interesting to see what happens to, uh, to, to Foster's once it goes through. Yeah, yeah. Bring it on. I'm but look... And, and, and I do have to say, you know, good luck to all of the, the people because you and I you know, know a lot of the people there and I, I really hope that they do keep, um, they throw a lot more, you know, um, resources behind breweries like uh, Matilda Bay um, and those guys, because no matter how you feel about big breweries owning things, um, the reality of the market is the craft beer market isn't going to move forward with a whole lot of little 600 litre plants. Um because the beer market is so big, you need big producers um, like the Matilda Bays, like the James Squires, like the uh, Little Creatures, um, and, and like the Coopers to get people uh, out there drinking good beer. So you know, yeah, I, yeah. they're kind I, of the icebreakers for the for the others to follow behind. Exactly, and that they'll always have the reach. They'll always have the uh, the ability to produce the beer. That is, craft beer grows, um, and that was something that we talked about at Beer Wars the other night. You know, how can you how can a small brewery handle rapid growth um, without selling out? Oh, yeah, you know, sorry, without selling a portion of their business and getting working capital. And uh, these guys have that working capital. Um, and you know, Brews News and Radio Brews News will be there to keep an eye on their marketing just to make sure that they're doing it fairly. Stay tuned here, folks. <laughs> for, every, for everything that vaguely matters. We may not be relevant, but at least we're current. Anyway, Prof, let's hop to our interview. Uh, that was worse than clarifying. Okay. Fair enough. Now, today we're talking to Tim Lord from Hot Products Australia. Um, there's been some interesting... They, The Bath Haas Group, which uh, owns Hot Products Australia, uh, has always releases a, an annual report in hops. Um, and there's some interesting stuff uh, in there about where hops is going and consumption rates. So we, we might have a, a bit of a chat to Tim about that and uh, have a bit of a more of a chat afterwards, Prof. Yeah, terrific. And we're joined by Tim Lord, who's the Managing Director of Hop Products Australia, part of the international hop growing organisation, the Bath Haas Group. Tim, welcome to Radio Brews News. Yeah, thank you. Mate, hops, they seem to be uh, the ingredient du jour these days. All of the beer geeks of the world are talking about them. Um, no doubt you're a very busy man these days. Uh, yeah, we're, uh, we've got a number of varieties which have uh, which we've recently, I guess from last crop anyway, from crop 2011, introduced to uh, America, to the USA, to the craft brewers there and also to the UK and we've had a tremendous response from, uh, from doing that. So um, with spring upon us, we're busy propagating hops as quickly as we can on our farms in Tasmania and Victoria and um, yeah, looking to get a, a quite a... Quite a uh, quite a number of uh, new plantings in the ground this year. Before we look at the uh, details of the local industry, we might have a bit of a chat about every year um, the Bath Haas Group release a hop report um, that looks at the world hop market. And I, I think sitting in, in your little craft beer bar drinking a massively hopped uh, IPA, you'd think that the demand for hops internationally would be exploding. But when you look at the Bath uh, report, um, the 
area under cultivation internationally has went down 8% um, in 2010. Um, the hop production in metric tons went down 12%. Um, alpha production went down 13%. And yet international beer production production went up 1.6%. What's the, the factor driving that? Are beers becoming less bitter? Or you know, what, what's the cause of, of that anomaly? Well, the numbers you refer to are really a, they're a coming together of, uh, of, of volumes all over the world. So you've got a global hop market and you've got a global beer market. Um, when, when, uh, if you go back a few years prior to the, the time you're talking about, when the world was very short of hops, um, a lot of the brewers who faced some high prices for, for bittering hops uh, transitioned to uh, pre-isomerized products and uh, things of this nature and this was also pre-GFC um, and so there were a number of factors there that sort of got the whole hop market well out of balance and uh, even though the beer production that you speak of still continued to rise slightly um, the world was uh, got into a situation um, very very quickly after this uh, after uh, after the hops were scarce back around 2007 2008 where there was a serious oversupply so um, production went up and then production has come down significantly since then and they're the numbers you're referring to there okay so the main hop production isn't for the the, the aroma hops or the flavor hops it's, it's really for the commodity hops that are, that are used that are processed to just um, extract the alpha acids yeah, the, the sort of numbers you see in the Bath Report there, it, it, it speaks to global alpha production predominantly, which is which is mainly the production of hops for bittering beer um, globally. You know, when you think of uh, sort of the main commercial commercial uh, big commercial breweries that are out there, um, with the world producing you know eight and a half nine thousand tons of uh, alpha acid. But um, what interestingly what's happened in the last uh, the last uh, year or so, last few years, is that the, the whole hop production globally is entered a bit of a, a duality situation or the market sort of split very firmly into two sectors. So you've got the demand for alpha acid as such or bitterness is actually declining and that's a reflection of... Uh, of uh, a sort of reduction in the volumes of mainstream beers that people are drinking and it's also a continual trend to see the bitterness in those beers having decreased over time. Um, but on the flip side of that, there is a growing demand from the craft brewing sector for specialised hops, for these hops that are going into these big hoppy IPAs and things that you're referring to, not just IPAs of course, but the, the broad spectrum of beers that are being produced by the craft brewers. Um, so. So you're going to see as time goes forward when these numbers are published in next year and the year after, you're probably going to see a continued a continue downward trend in terms of overall alpha production around the world. Having said which, um, the US is currently increasing its production of varieties such as Simcoe and Chinook and Cascades and, and these sort of probably uh, uh, Citra better known varieties that are probably... probably uh, um, more well known to the craft brewers and to the craft beer drinkers, and I guess the local equivalents of uh, those hops that you mentioned in the states would be our local Galaxy hop, um, which you guys developed uh, and came on the market a couple of years ago. That's absolutely right. We're uh, we've had um, tremendous response to releasing Galaxy internationally. Um, great response in the states and uh, and a tremendous response in the UK as well. And uh, on the back of that, we're getting inquiries from, from predominantly craft brewers all around the world. Um, hot on the heels of Galaxy, of course, uh, varieties that some people are aware of, like Stella, 
Uh, we've got another variety, Summer, which is quite unique, uh, having a, a, an apricotty character to it. And um, so we're expanding the plantings of these very quickly at the moment. Um, and uh, we've also got a number of other new varieties that, uh, that look like we're going to bring online shortly as well. Are they named yet? Are they ones that we would recognise? No, no. We're actually uh, we've got a, we've, 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 we typically uh, do uh, a, a, a range of assessments, brewing assessments, organoleptic assessments of hop varieties. Uh, we've chosen two out of our program at the moment. We've got one which is a big, fruity, pineapple-y character hop, which we're toying with the idea of calling Tropo. Um, and we've got another one, which is which is a divine hop, which uh, we've actually got some beers in the fridge right now, which we're going to be tasting during the course of next week. Um, and we're propagating that one up as well, but we don't have a name for it yet. But uh, a little different to these sort of big fruity hops that we have released of recent times. But um, um, yeah, and, and we've also got another probably another ten that we're also uh, that we're also running through brewing evaluations at the moment. And I, I should say that this isn't something that you know, last year uh, a beer like Stone and Wood was very successful. Um, so suddenly you decide, well, let, let, let's make more of those. This would have been the evolution of a process that goes back what five, ten years to, to get to the hops. A decade. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, if, um, with with the uh, production of a new hop variety, uh, first of all, you've got to sort of make the cross. You've got the male and female plants. You've got to collect the seed. You need to grow those out. You need to grow them for a number of years. Um, they then get into a period of uh, chemical assessment to see what sort of properties they exhibit, what sort of uh, um, agronomic, you know, how do they grow? Will they, you know, can we grow them on our framework? Can we pick them with our machines? Well, can we dry them? Can we do whatever with them? Um, before we even get to brewing assessment, and it's not until we get to that point that we've really, uh, you know, we've ticked a number of boxes on the way through. Uh, we've got rid of a lot that don't come up to, up that don't meet expectation, and it's not until we get to that point till we know that we may or may not even have something uh, which may be of interest to to the brewers. So yeah, it can be it can be a ten plus year process from that initial step, that initial act of, okay, let's take this particular. Uh, line of hop and cross it with this particular line of hop. It can be a good decade before uh, before we've actually got something that's commercially available. Tim, following on from that, we uh, had a bit of a chat last year and we we talked about how how long it takes to basically to get a, a hop to market. Yeah. And we touched on the fact that it's it's really is a it's kind of like a, a bilateral or a, it's a it's a two way. Uh, collaborative approach between the growers and the brewers because it takes so long to get the hop sorted that the brewers have then got to kind of commit to yeah well look you know if you if you build it we will come kind of thing and you know we'll we'll use that hop is that still the, the case in that um you know you is it the brewers are saying we want hops that have got apricot in them can you please grow them or yeah. you kind of say the other way around we're going to grow something with apricot would you be interested in using it or is it meet somewhere kind of in the middle it's more it's more meeting in the middle really um we can't be that definitive when we when we're breeding hops we cannot be that definitive in terms of uh, what sort of character we will see like, there's always been a lot of emphasis on the breeding lines of hop um, but the reality is that if you look into the breeding lines of uh, some of the hops that we're growing now there's no real linkage between the character exhibited in the new variety and the characters that you may have seen in the parent 
um, you know, it's a bit like when you have kids, you know, you, you, you have two kids and they might be, you know, really different. Um, and in some cases, they're very similar to the parents. Um, so there's, there's no definitive link there. So we are, we are, we have, uh, we, we are, we are probably going to be taking a bit more risk going forward. We're seeing that the demand for new and interesting hops is, uh, is growing quite quickly. Um, throughout the craft sector, everyone is very interested in what is new, what new hop character may you be able to introduce or, 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 or provide us to, to use in our beers. Um, and so probably moving away a little bit from that very conservative approach where we look for contracts before we put hops in, we're probably going to look a bit more so to a transitioning our business faster to growing more of these sorts of varieties, but also getting the volumes up so as we've you know we've actually got some reasonable volumes available to offer brewers should they come in and say yes they you know they've found something in a particular variety that they'd like to uh, you know use to create a beer. Yeah, sure. And and just to clarify for our listeners, so there's there's still no guarantee that how the hop presents in in the lab, if you like, that that will translate necessarily to the beer. So so different characters might come out once it's actually brewed with. Absolutely. This is I mean this is the this is the you know the um, the grey area of uh, of hops and brewing. Um, you know, people people rub and sniff, and you get that you get that aroma. People uh, people in some places uh, play put a, play a great deal of emphasis on on that sort of rub and sniff and that that sort of visual assessment of the hop. But we know we know in reality that in some cases you may get some of that character translate and uh, may present in the beer. But in many cases you will get character in the beer that you won't necessarily pick up either in the uh, in the chemical analysis of the hop um, by that I mean like a, a GC oil analysis or even in just smelling smelling the uh, the raw hops um, you know it's a, it's complex chemistry there's a the actual flavor and aroma thresholds that uh, that the nose and the palate can detect uh, uh, some 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 compounds we can detect at parts per million some down to parts per billion and uh, uh, it's a complex chemistry, and uh, there's only one way to there's only one way to properly evaluate hops, and that's to make beer with them and taste them and see what it tastes like. Sounds like a tough job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we've got a whole fridge full of uh, we've got a whole fridge full here at the moment, which we're going to uh, we're going to enjoy, um, hopefully enjoy. Uh, tasting during the course of this next week to see uh, see what of our our uh, efforts from our breeding program may get a may get a tick and uh, may get the opportunity to come into commercial production. So who makes the beers for you, Tim? Uh, we have a number of brewers that uh, that make the beers for us. Um, we've toyed with the idea many times of uh, undertaking this ourselves, um, and we do have access to pilot breweries uh, overseas within the Bath Haas Group that we can use. And in fact, we're currently building a new one in America but um, we've worked uh, collaboratively with um, with brewers here in Australia predominantly um, to do trial brews with our hops and uh, get feedback uh, from those some are very structured programs and some we've been increasingly sending samples out to guys in the uh, in the craft area to just have a play with and you know see what see what sorts of uh, what sorts of feedback we can get from there because we also know that some of these hops uh, will present differently in different styles of beer. Um, so if you're running a very single dimensional evaluation program, it's possible that you'll still miss 
miss how the hop may present in a different style of beer. So we're trying to, we're now trying to interact with a, a broader cross section of brewers and have the be, have the hops evaluated um, by use by uh, addition in the kettle, addition in the whirlpool, or even just dry hopping and uh, get a get a greater. Um, a greater set of data back on on a variety before we uh, before we make some decisions on its future. Is Stella one of your recent uh, batch or one of your recent developments? Yes, yes. That is because I, I, I tried the Stella um, IPA from Bridge Road. Was that yes. brewed under th- this program of sending them samples to uh, to have a play with? Yeah, well, Stella's a new variety. We only um, um, Ben's obviously uh, done great work there with the, uh, the Galaxy IPA, which was the first one he bought out, and he then followed that up with the Stella IPA. Um, that uh, that was uh, done originally as a bit of a trial, I guess, and um, you know, proofs in the drinking now. It's um, uh, he sent me some pictures yesterday, or for those that have access to him on Twitter, I think there were some pallets. A number of pallets of the uh, Stellar IPA being bottled up just recently or just this week. So, uh, I hope they were a... scratch and sniff photos. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, nothing, nothing beats drinking them. There's no doubt about that. But um, yeah, that's a that's a that's a new variety which um, we uh, did some work with over a period of time, and uh, we planted up a. Well, started off with only a hectare or so, so we only got. Um, I think three or four tonnes of that from last harvest, and uh, that's another one that we're propagating up because the the feedback from both brewers here in Australia and also internationally um, has been tremendous. And I think Stella's going to find a uh, a really good place out there in the, uh, in the in the craft brewing world. When you say there was only a, about a hectare, this area under hop in Australia still isn't that much anyway. So one hectare would still be a reasonable percentage. Or it would be a, a recognised percentage of a uh, of the total production, wouldn't it? Um, well, um, we've got uh, we've got sort of three fifty four hundred hectares oh, okay. um, um, between Ross Trevor and uh, Bushy Park. Um, there's about three hundred and fifty hectares under trellis there currently. So, you know, this was an area we put a we put a hectare or so in, somewhat on spec, to see whether uh, to just to really grow it and get a reasonable quantity. Um, some brewers you know, are okay using flowers, for example. Some brewers uh, prefer or, or have to use pellets given their setup, and we need a reasonable quantity to be able to run it through a pellet plant to actually produce some T90 pellets. So, you know, we can, it reaches a point where we've got to make a decision to produce a you know a marketable volume, um, and that usually starts off with us around a, a hectare or so. Um, you know, to produce, depending on the yield, you know, two or three tonnes, hopefully, of a variety. Um, so we can then distribute it. Um, we can then produce some pellets for those that need to use type 90 pellets. Um, we also offer flowers of all our varieties now um, and uh, then get them out there for people to uh, to evaluate and to trial. How is it for you to manage your production? Because I know that you'd sold uh, pretty much your whole uh Harvest, 2011 harvest by the time of harvesting you've sold 85 percent of next year's crop already um i, I guess you, to, to grow up some of these popular varieties um you need to plan well ahead and hope that they don't become a little bit faddish where they, they suddenly plummet after a year or two of popularity mm, it is hard um it, it because well it's agriculture um it's a it's an annual crop um 
propagating up and getting a plant, even once you've decided you're going to propagate a variety, obviously you've got to have enough material to propagate with. Um, those babies then, those cuttings are going to be a couple of years before they reach maturity. Um, so it, it is hard to predict where you're going um, and how much to produce of some of these varieties, there's no doubt. And it's also very expensive to grow and uh, produce uh, these hops. Um, so that, that sort of goes back to Pete's question in the first place as to what sort of risk we may take as opposed to saying, well, we need a contract from a brewer before we're prepared to go down that path. Um, we cur we're currently growing 12 commercial varieties. Um, we're propagating two more up this year, so that'll take our, uh, 14 to, our number to 14 commercial varieties. And um, we've got a number of varieties which are in decline. Some of those high alpha bittering varieties are in decline, so we're actually um, reducing the production of some of these varieties, and uh, that's making way for the expansion of these uh, varieties which, are, which the craft sector's primarily got interest in. I guess with so much planning uh, so far out needing to be done, you'd be a very keen student of beer market trends and you know, have, have a fairly strong idea of where you think the beer market's going. Um, can you share your insights with the Australian beer market with us? Where, where you think, it, it, what you think's growing, what you think's declining and some of the reasons behind that? In Australia? Yep. Well, I mean, I think anyone who's involved in the industry and uh, with, the, with the information that gets reported on a fairly regular basis, I mean, we're all well aware of the fact that uh, some of our main or bigger commercial brands are in decline, um, and that is reflective of trends elsewhere around the world. So probably no surprises there. Um, and we're obviously seeing that, uh, that explosion in interest and uh, expansion in volumes of the, uh, in the craft sector. Um, in terms of total brewing volume, the actual volumes that are being consumed um, are not necessarily growing, so it's important to sort of keep it in context, I guess. Um, and uh, so, you know, the, a lot of a lot of this is uh, driven by uh, you know changes changes in society, people not drinking as much in the pub, people not drinking as much of those sort of mainstream beers that are that are on tap in the pub. But people are increasingly, um, if they go off premise, looking to buy something interesting and new to, to take home rather than say grab a grab a carton of their old mainstay or what they've been drinking in the pub. So um, yeah, we're seeing a decline. We're seeing a general decline in the mainstream beers. Uh, everyone's well aware of that. Um, and by mainstream, we obviously speak to the to the brands that uh, are well known and produced predominantly by the likes of CUB and Lime. Um, but uh, the flip side, of course, is the uh, is the growth that we're seeing in uh, in the in the craft brewing sector, um, which is tremendous. Are you working with any cider makers to see whether they'll throw some hops in their ciders? That's a fairly rapidly growing seg segment as well. Well, we are actually. Um, oh, really? We've got, yeah, we've got uh, one or two cider makers that are using some hops in their cider. Interestingly enough, not as a you know, it's only a it's only a tiny, tiny uh, volume at this point. It's only a few kilos, really. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's that's something that people have not probably not aware of or not heard of, and that there is some interest there in uh, using a few hops in some in some uh, cider recipes. Yes. As a dry hop, rather because it wouldn't be isomerized to to get the bitterness out. It would be. That's right. That's right. Yeah, just as a, just to get a, just to just to get some some dry hopping contribution to the uh, to the flavour of the of the cider. Yeah. And Tim, what about the uh, if you like the, the side products, the um, the development or the or the you know the looking at uh, other uses for whether it be the you know the vines or the leaves or other parts of the hop to sort of 
I guess, grow the, the usefulness of the hop. Is that still continuing? Um, probably not so much the binds and the leaves. We, we, we use, we recycle all that material, we compost it and spread it back onto, uh, onto our gardens. Um, so that's a, that's a valuable sort of input each year. Um, we take that and um, reintroduce it to the, to the, to the gardens. The, in terms of sidelines, I, I, this might be a bit of a tangent, but um, there's still some strong growth, um, not so much here in Australia, but certainly in the States and in Europe, in using um, uh, beta acids and uh, other hop products to um, displace things like uh, the use of antibiotics in the ethanol industry and the use of formaldehyde in, uh, in uh, beet sugar processing. Um, so that's a, that's a steadily growing sort of uh, um, a steadily growing industry using uh, hop um, to replace to replace uh, processing aids in other industries. So that's probably the most predominant one, and that's also extending out into using uh, hop extracts in um, in uh, pharmaceutical and nutraceutical products, and in a number of other sort of even some water treatment type applications. Um, but um, you know they're, they're the main sort of uh, uses for for hop outside of uh, beer, which with beer still being you know 97 percent of uh, of the world's hop production being channeled into uh, you know beer production. Tim, how much bigger can the uh, local hop market grow? Um, there haven't been any new entrants into the growing of hops. Um, you've got the same number of producers. So do they just need to plant more uh, acreage or would you actually encourage more people to get into to hops as the demand for some of these aroma and flavour hop varieties grows? Um, well, the industry here in Australia is it's um, you know it's it's been in a it's been in a state of decline for for decades. I mean, we uh, you know Australian growers were producing Australian varieties um, which were, for example. Um, supporting uh, breweries overseas when uh, Fosters had interests overseas and when other breweries were were uh, having beer made under licence overseas. And with the sale of overseas interests and uh, with uh, the reduction in the amount of um, um, beer that's being made under licence overseas, that, that has been contracting for a period of time. So it's been a combination of um, reducing bitterness levels, reducing demand, uh, reducing beer volumes being drunk. So the industry's been in decline for, for quite a long period of time. So there's, there's quite a lot of infrastructure in place um, which would handle you know, increased area under trellis here uh, already. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of uh, opportunities for others to come into the industry, uh, we, still have, we still have quite a, a capacity to expand, I guess, within the bounds of existing infrastructure. And by existing infrastructure, I mean existing farms, existing trellising systems, um, existing ability to harvest, to pick and dry the hops. Um, so uh, that's of course what we're trying to achieve. Um, we're trying to transition Hop Products Australia from being predominantly a, a grower of uh, high alpha hops for sale to predominantly commercial brewers, both domestically and overseas. And um, we are we are riding that decline, or if you like, making uh, making uh, that that decline is actually creating the space for us to expand into these other areas and. I see that that, uh, that decline will continue. And um, so our expansion of uh, these varieties that we spoke to, our Galaxy, our Stella, our Summer, um, uh, is something that we'll be uh, pursuing. And uh, we've, still got quite a, we've, we've still got quite some capacity to uh, expand these varieties significantly. 
um, I guess just while I mention that, the other thing we're doing is uh, increasingly growing uh, areas of uh, varieties such as uh, Cascades and Willamettes, and uh, we're seeing a, a good demand there for basically import replacements for varieties that have gained popularity here in recent years. Um, so we've uh, we've put in quite an area of uh, Cascades over the last few years, and we'll be planting more of those this year. So um, it's a combination of what we're doing here is a is a combination of um, sort of import replacements and also uh, growing up these new varieties, and um, and it, it's targeted more so at the craft sector. Um, having said which, when we say craft, it's interesting to see that uh, some of these some of the uh, the larger brewers around the world um, are also starting to show some serious interest in some of these varieties because uh, they see that's the sector of the market which is growing. These uh, these full flavoured, um, interesting, well-structured, well-made beers are the sort of beers that the beer drinkers are, are moving to and uh, so it's not just your uh, smaller craft operation that's necessarily interested in these varieties so it's, uh, it's interesting times. How will you co- actually? That that raises two things. I might go back to the first one. Um, you, yep. you talked about growing um, Cascade and uh, some of the international varieties over here in the wine industry. There's a big focus on uh, terroir and where the, the the ingredient takes on the flavour of where it's grown. Do you notice much of a change in character of the international hops or some of the overseas developed hops when they are planted over here? That's a really good question um, because a number of people have spoken with some authority on this in uh, in years gone by without really, I believe, taking a close look at what's going on. Um, the short answer to your question is that yes, we do we do see some differences. But if you look at seasonal differences, say with Cascade in America, you look at seasonal differences with Cascade in Australia, and you then overlap that across a few seasons, you actually see that they're very very similar. Um, further to which, it's really important to know to understand that uh, a choice of harvest date and storage conditions and ageing of these varieties can have uh, as big or bigger influence on the way that hop will perform in the beer as opposed to um, the area it was grown in. So I'm not saying that there's no impact because we know that in a, in a, in a, uh, in a wet season in America and in a, in a hot, hot dry season in Australia, we may end up with slightly different um, chemical compositions, oil, prof- oil profiles, etc. Um, so we know that hops grown in different seasons in different areas. You know, there may be some differences, but um, we've taken a very, very close look at uh, at this and compared data across a, a number of different seasons and done a lot of work in analysing the hops and also in brewing with the hops and. Um, for example, we've just we've just sent um, quite a lot of cascades to America, where they're being used by some brewers over there, and uh, we've had some tremendous feedback from that. You know, the hops that we produced from crop 2011, because of the way we grew them, because of the way we chose to harvest them, because of the way we handled them, um, we've presented uh, hops back to uh, back to the states, and they say they uh, they match up and and are very pleased with them when they compare them to domestically grown cascades, for example. So. Um, yeah, so we know we know that we can deliver a hop which will perform pretty well true to type um, compared to an import. How you mentioned that the, the time that the hop is picked um, is yes. very important. How do you t- determine when the, the the right time is? I know the grape growers have a methodology. How does a hop grower know when the hop is uh, perfect? Well, this is another area where we've put um, quite a lot of effort into uh, in recent years. 
um, we use a range of we we we, we monitor the uh, the uh, the um, build-up of alpha acid in all our varieties. We measure the uh, the dry matter, um, so we, we keep a handle on how, how quickly that hop is drying out. But one of the things we've done, uh, which is which is different to what they do in the States and also in Europe, is we actually take samples of the developing hop cones and we look at them under a bifocal microscope and we watch those little lupulin glands, which are like a tiny little balloon. And when that lupulin gland swells and fills which occurs right at the point of maturity it happens very quickly as the uh, as the hop matures and we can watch you can physically see that lupulin gland swell and fill and you know when that's uh, when that's round and full that that hop is pretty well at the peak point where you're not harvesting too soon and if you leave it much longer it's it's uh, you know it, it's unable to really produce um, any more alpha acid if that's what you're looking for or essential oil if that's what you're looking for so uh, we use a we use a range of different um, parameters uh, we are more driven by um, looking at what the chemical composition will be in our hops ie what the value to the brewer will be as opposed to um, certainly other parts of the world where they pick more just on the visual component or just they look at the hops visually and say yes they're right um, and we find it very interesting that um, you know when they speak of choice grade, first grade, second grade hops in in Europe, um, these are all visual assessments, and we know that that does not necessarily translate into value for the brewer. So, you know, some of our spots may have some of our hops may have some spots on them, but uh, we're picking them for. We are very focused on picking our hops to try and maximise the value that the brewer will get from whatever that variety is. Now, one last question before I let you go. One of the best things I've ever been able to do uh, in, in beer is come down and join you uh, for the hop harvest and to sort of walk amongst the uh, hop binds uh, and get all of the aromas that, that, that are going. Is that something that the, the, the general public can do? Do you see hop harvest festivals starting up in Tasmania and do you welcome uh, tourists to, to come by uh, in, in March each year when the hops are being harvested? We don't have any specific plans for a, for a harvest festival, but um, for people that are in the area, um, we uh, you know we welcome we welcome people to come and uh, come along to the farm and see what we're doing. It's uh, you know everyone just about who drinks a beer knows that there's hops in beer, um, but not a lot of people have had the opportunity to actually see a uh, well even visit a hop farm or more specifically to see a, uh, a hop harvest actually uh, taking place. So um, yeah, we we're definitely our we're welcome to uh, have, uh, in particular, brewers come along, and we've got a number of them talking about coming out for our next harvest from the US and from the UK, um, providing they check in at our uh, at our offices and um, and uh, they don't wander onto the farms uh, of their own doing. Um, yeah, we're we're open to have people come along and uh, experience what it's like and uh, get up into our kilns when they're in full in uh, full swing and uh, get that heady aroma from from drying hops and uh, see what it's all about it's uh, it's good to be able to share share what we do well it's certainly a, a highly recommended experience i know that the people that have done it it's completely changed the way that they look at beer tim lord thank you very much for your time today and uh, most importantly thank you for uh, fueling all of our uh, lupulin addition uh, additions <laughs> cheers matt yeah appreciate it bye for now well, there we go. That was Tim Lord. Prof, what do you reckon? Mate, he's a very nice bloke. Good businessman uh, as well as, I think, having a finger on the pulse and a, and a, a bit of care and concern for the uh, the smaller brewers as well as, obviously, 
you know, hop growers, their core business is going to be the mainstream beers. Uh, but the smaller brewers, I think, are certainly well looked after uh, just by the attitude of, of uh, businesses like HPA and um, by people like Tim in particular. Yeah, but how can you dislike somebody that gave us Galaxy Hops? Exactly, exactly. And he's, and he's, a, he's, a, pretty, he's a pretty decent man to have a beer with as well. Um, and one thing for, for the listeners who, who don't know, Tim carries around with it. Yeah, it's kind of like a little, you know, satchel of samples and that sort of thing. But we're talking about things like, you know, like essence of hops and that sort of thing. So like tiny little clear liquid bottles, but you, you know, you take the top off and you, and it's just bang, it's just massive, you know, galaxy or, you know, whatever the, the hop might be. So it's, I can't remember exactly what the technical thing is, but it's kind of like, you know, like a distilled essence of, um, of, of the particular hop. Um, and you'll have, you know, a heap of those. And they're sort of, you know, like, a, you know, I guess like a travelling salesman sample pack kind of thing. But um, really interesting to see that, that what they're doing. And also, and we touched on it a little bit, that, um, you know, there's looking at doing other things with hops, looking at other applications in pharmaceuticals and nutraceuticals and those sorts of things, um, as well as um, um, putting it in, into beer, which we like. Well, I, I don't want to see it wasted on uh, pharmaceuticals because... Uh... Beer is, a, beer is a food. That's right. But as long as they're byproducts, as long as they're, you know, products that aren't being necessarily used in the... As long as beer doesn't yeah, have to hand anything over. Exactly. Exactly. And, yeah, look, as you were saying, you know, the the alpha acid, you know, that there's a glut of, of alpha acid hops, the, the high uh, hops, so they really see the um the, the background in uh, craft brewing as well. But, uh, mate, what do you got coming up this week? Uh, I've actually got a quiet week, which is nice. We had... Um... As you know, you know, last week I, I had a couple of beer dinners. I had one at the uh, the courthouse restaurant, uh, which was sort of loosely titled "An Irishman, an Englishman, and a Scot walk into a restaurant." I had uh, the Great British Beer Dinner. We did, and we sort of set the theme around uh, the UK, about uh, around England, Ireland, and Scotland, and showcased beers matched to uh, you know traditional styles of of foods. And I thought, well, I just it really sort of lacks. You know, a bit of sort of um, you know a bit of credibility, you know, cultural credibility. So I thought, well, hang on, I know James Smith. He's an Englishman. Good mates with Shandy. He's a Scotsman. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Chris McNamara, at least sounds Irish. <laughs> He's got the surname. Uh, but as it turned out, no. So I, I said to the guys, look, if you guys want, here's a bit of a challenge for you. So they set to and they sort of sourced some beers and, and made some suggestions and told me about their you know favourite traditional sorts of foods. And it, um, we filled the house and it was a, a, a very long night, but it was a, a raging success. It was a lot of fun. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, there's probably there's probably yeah. for those who have listened to uh, us talking to Sam from True South, there's possibly another uh, whole podcast we'll have to do there just to explain how we ended up uh, at a country pub uh, out in the middle of nowhere with 78 beer lovers enjoying. Well, they didn't enjoy a long night; they were all gone by 11, but we were still going at 4:30. Say no more. I had a great night out in the country last weekend as well at the uh, Warwick Hotel, which is about two and a half hours west of Brisbane. Um, you know, it's the sort of place that you would normally expect to rock up and see a uh, a whole lot of uh, mainstream brands. But walked into this bottle shop and I tweeted a, a couple of photos. I did um, see them. I did notice some Brewdog and some, uh, you know, I, I guess not knowing. Sierra Nevada, yeah. they had, you know, they, they had, it was literally one of the best beer bottle shops Uh that I've seen, you know, in Brisbane, and this is two and a half hours west of Brisbane. And we did; it was a very small little uh, beer dinner, but they're giving beer a red hot go. So, uh, yeah, no, look, I, I'm um, 
I was really pleased to be part of that, and we're we'll, we'll, hoping to do a couple more out there. But it's just you know, slowly, slowly, incrementally, and uh, yeah. getting getting the word out there. And I think too, and look again, without blowing our own trumpet, but being able to, I guess, put that information out and put those places on the map, it gives people a better opportunity to do what we're asking them to do, which is to to support those sorts of venues. So, us telling them where it is and and getting out there and getting giving them a little bit of a spotlight um, helps helps that cause. Exactly. So, okay, mate. Well, look, great chat. Um, Been good. Now, listeners, we're recording this on the twenty third, fifth, twenty third of September, um, and uh, I'm hoping to get this up the same day. Just uh, what? To, so, profil. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. It's going to be frantic uh, now to get it out by this afternoon, but we'll see. But, prof, mate, thank you once again for for joining. Thank you thank for you. your company in Sydney on Tuesday. Hey, and thank you. Um, thank I should you. say. Back on yourself. Very quickly, I will say that uh, Beer Wars is going national. We we do have uh, dates for Adelaide, and we have dates for Adelaide at the Wedge Tasmania, twelfth of October. Yep. We 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 got Brisbane, and we're also now being asked to uh, take it to Newcastle for Newcastle Beer Week. Yeah. So um, and Tassie, did you mention we'll, Tassie? We'll, I did mention yeah. Tassie, so I'll, I'll pop all of yeah. those dates on on the website. So uh, yeah, and thanks, so, a special thanks to all those who came along and supported it uh, in Sydney on Tuesday and uh, to Adelaide and to Brisbane and to Tassie and to Newcastle. Uh, and by the way, Sean Sherlock, just a message to you. I have checked the spelling of Newcastle. There's no R in Newcastle. All right. <laughs> just, just so we're clear on that. Uh, but to all those, all the people in, in those centres, in those places, uh, see if you can uh, knock Sydney off. They're, they're in the lead at the moment. We're, we'll, we'll say 65. Uh, so let's see if we can uh, get some even bigger numbers because it was a lot of fun and well worth well worth turning up to. And I will just say very quickly, I've had half a dozen emails since then from people saying, oh, look, I was in the audience, I listened to Radio Brews News, I didn't want to come up, you were busy. Forget that. I, I know that Prof and I, I know, I know, and I know Prof, you know, you and I have this air of being, you know, multimedia beer superstars these days, you know, we're, but we're not Russell No, that's Crow. right. And look, we want yeah, to... the queue of people who were, who were coming up to talk to me and get over the grass was, was actually, it was moving fairly quickly. So, you know, even if it looks <laughs> like I'm really busy, just join in. You, you, it won't be long. <laughs> Good on you, Prof, mate. The band is in. The leader hosing a Don. Let's get out of here. I'll talk to you no, soon. mate. Take care. See you all.